any of us know what they wanted to do at 24 years old? I know, it's fantastic. It's, it's, you know, actually, yes, I did. I knew what I was I know do. you would, yeah. Fred. Yeah, I'm <laughs> wearing uh, ascot. Yeah, wearing ascots and writing about bourbon. Yeah, <laughs> I knew that. <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome back. And I just want to say thank you and welcome to two of our newest partnerships with Eagle Rare Life from Eagle Rare Bourbon as well as Barrel Bourbon. I know a lot of people in the industry do listen to this show, so if you're looking for a non-traditional way to bring your brand in front of hundreds of thousands of listeners per year, go and check out our partnerships page at bourbonpursuit.com. This past week, I was actually able to go through our last recording sprint and sort of get our map of what the podcast release schedule is going to look like. And man, I feel a, a sigh of relief a little bit. We've got almost enough podcasts recorded that gets us almost to the end of May. You know, that's not including the roundtables, but we recorded a bunch. We've got things to come from the Higher Proof Expos. We've got more things like today's show to even go record uh, coming up at the beginning of this year. And it's got a lot of good things that are coming. So if you're on Patreon, you can kind of see a little bit of a glimpse of what that looks like as well. This past week, there was a great article that came out by Wade Woodard that looked into the idea of, are you paying too much for barrel-proof whiskey? It breaks down the math of things like Wild Turkey 101 versus Rare Breed or Old Forester 86 versus Old Forester 1920. And you can see the significance in what the markup is that companies are charging for their regular offerings versus barrel proof for their higher proof equivalents. It's an interesting spreadsheet, for especially for those math nerds out there, and you can get the link on our show notes. Now, today's Legend series brings our good friends uh, Wes and Kyle Henderson again onto the show, and as well as a new face with the youngest member of the clan to join the family ranks. We get to hear more of the stories about Angel's Envy, the people behind it, and a lot of the ideas that Lincoln Henderson, Wes's father, Kyle's grandfather, really influenced on bringing this journey to where it is today. Now, this is part of the Kentucky Derby Museum's Legend Series, and the next season of those Legend Series are going on sale. So if you want to listen to topics like today, but we're going to be talking about Andrea and Pam from Michter's. We've got Craft Night featuring Rabbit Hole, Jephthah Creed, and the Peerless Founders. We've also got Dixon Deadman of Kentucky Owl, and the first one begins in January, so buy your tickets at derbymuseum.org slash legendseries. Now, I know this goes out to a lot of people, and I want to say thank you to everybody that is continually pushing out and writing those reviews. I keep getting them, and, and not only that, as I do read every single one of them, and thank you for all of the constructive criticism. I'm always going to do better to worry about our presence and making sure that we are delivering the best content and the best listening experience for you as well. So go ahead, make sure you leave a review on iTunes or subscribe on YouTube or wherever you can and just make sure you give us a thumbs up wherever it is. And now with that, enjoy this week's episode. But first, here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char. This past week, Sears announced it will be filing for bankruptcy. That's sad. Sears connected many of us to our childhood. So did Toys R Us. It's gone too. The only real iconic retailers we have left are Walmart and Target, with both trying to fend off Amazon to your bank account. And they couldn't be more different. 
Walmart has the stained shirt and sweatpants guy and a whole lot of deal seekers, while Target's base is designer-centric and female-forward. They've both found their audiences, while many struggling retailers have yet to find their spot. One area they're all trying to capture is bourbon. In fact, you will find bourbon in Walmart, Meyer, Target, and many other general retailers. You see, bourbon offers marketers one of the most dynamic consumer bases in the country, where black, white, Asian, Hispanic, all forms of religions, and a whole lot in between. The taste for bourbon knows no political affiliation or cultural heritage. And so, big money people are trying to tap into us as if we're the next great consumer base. Hey, I dig it. I just wish Sears thought of it too. Bourbon could have been its savior, holding pappy raffles amidst the Craftsman tools, dishwashers, and Michelin tires. Bean Satori's Fred No could have had private tastings next to pots and pans while Jimmy Russell's held court in the fishing and tackle area. Alas, that didn't happen. But it could have. In fact, I believe bourbon's retail reach is endless. And that's not necessarily good. For every big retailer that gets Pikesville rye, that's one less bottle going to a local independent store, the likes of which Sears put out of business in the 1960s with their Sears catalog. Perhaps it's the cycle of life in retail, but the story of Sears is a reminder that progress can take victims along the way. Let's hope we don't see this in our beloved bourbon independent liquor stores. And that's this week's Above the Char. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Fred Minnick. Until next week, cheers. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or thebourbonconcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits, and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. And they're off for another Get 270 2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at give270.org. Charitable gaming license ORG 0002703. Uh, let me turn it over to the museum's official bourbon authority, Mr. Fred Minnick. Thank you, Pat. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> Folks, I can't reiterate how important it is for Commonwealth Bank and Trust to come in on this. This is the first year we've ever had a title sponsor 
uh, for this series. This is our fifth year doing the Legend Series. So once again, thank you so much, Commonwealth Bank and Trust. Thank you. So this is our fifth year. It's pretty amazing when you think about it because now it seems like every other weekend, Master Distillers are doing a, a special tasting at, at a bar or there's, a, there's an event just in some random city from, from Dayton to Pittsburgh. But in 2013, when we started this out, it was really kind of, we didn't know how it would take off. I mean, yes, the, the bourbon industry was booming and people were coming down for the Kentucky Bourbon Festival and they were sending in long lines for the special releases like the Angel's Envy Cash Strength which won the world's best spirit by Paul Packle around that time. And we were wondering like, you know, would it take off? Would it work? And here we are five years later, it has. And it has because of you all. How many of you all have been here before? Look at how many repeat people are here. Thank you all so much. It's because of you and your support for the museum and bourbon that I'm able to stand up here, or sit up here rather, and talk about bourbon with such great people. And in years past, we've had one individual up here. We've had a single legend. It's been like, we've called it the legend series. But this year, it's all about family. Tonight, we have the Hendersons. The next session, we'll have the Nose. And after that, we'll have Willet, the Coles Fiends. And the Henderson family is very unique. I have here, I have uh, Kyle, I have Wes, I have Andrew. And Kyle's grandfather, Andrew's grandfather, and Wes's father, Lincoln Anderson, was the founding master distiller for a little brand called Woodford Reserve. He was also highly influential on a, on a little brand uh, that sold a few cases called Jack Daniels once upon a time. Anyone have heard of those two brands? Pr pretty important stuff. and. This family is synonymous with, with bourbon lore, and a lot of it stems upon Lincoln. But it's really been, it's, he, he created Angel's Envy with his, with his son and his grandson, and he told me that that was the greatest moment of his career. Think about that for a moment. A man who created a, a bourbon from nothing in Woodford Reserve and turned it into one of the world's most prestigious bourbons and helped uh, bring Jack Daniels into the limelight for, from a premium perspective. He says that the greatest moment of his career is spending time with his son and his grandson. And that's really what bourbon is all about. It's about family. And Wes, you have a very, very large family. Six kids? That we know of, yeah. Six kids that you know of. Yeah, my wife, yeah, it's six, right, honey? You would know. You would know we had six, right? Okay, good, very good. I so, say that to Julie, and Julie's like, yeah, I know how many I had. So do you, do you have a favorite child? It changes. <laughs> There's a certain amount of jockeying that goes on in the will yeah. at home. And depending on who's nice to me this day, they may move up or may move down. Um, so, uh, all right. Well, just up here on the stage, who's your favorite? Kyle these or two Andrew? right here. Yeah. These two. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, I got some tips beforehand. What, what's what's Andrew's birthday? April third. Is that correct? Yeah. All right. What's Kyle's birthday? May twenty fourth. No third. <laughs> 
To Which be, one? To be fair, the 24th is your other son's birthday. Right, that's yes. right. Yeah. <laughs> and your dad. And your dad. I, look, I know their names, all right? <laughs> 26. I know. 26. I'm kidding. 26. I didn't remember, so that's okay. <laughs> So I have I have a few more I have a few more Wes in particular kind of questions. Now I was on my way in and uh, a police officer stopped me uh, because he told me he said I heard you're you're interviewing Wes Henderson tonight uh, and I, I said yes sir I, I was a little worried that you might have a warrant out for you or something like that but he brings up something from your fraternity days in college apparently you stole a pickle. Some kind of, you stole a, a, a pickle or something like that. They still have a warrant out for whoever stole that pickle. Can you, can you tell us about that story? Uh, some of you might remember this back in 1984 or so, Paramount. How do you find this out? I, listen, I'm, I'm an avid so, researcher. So um, Paramount Pickles had a giant pickle on a billboard. Do you all remember that on I-65? Well, one, one night after some exploits, the pickle disappeared. And we, some people that I will not name were responsible for that pickle disappearing. And we had the pickle. And uh, we found out the next morning, though, that they were offering like a $10,000 reward for said pickle. So uh, we immediately got rid of that pickle and returned it to the rightful owners. But uh, that was my brush there. And uh, yeah. So the pickle went back on the billboard. All is good. Nobody got hurt. Nobody went to jail. Uh, we probably should have. But that... No, that's what we should have done. We should have claimed the reward, but we were too scared. You know, you bring a pickle to a fraternity house, you have it downstairs for a party. There's, a, there's, an, there's probably a likelihood a lot of people know about that pickle, and somebody's going to drop dime at some point in time. So it just get rid of the pickle, the hot pickle. That's what we called it. Thanks, well, Fred. You're, you're very much welcome. Uh, I, I want to turn in for a moment for a little bit more serious subject, and, th and that's your father, Lincoln, just uh, you know, inaugural Bourbon Hall of Famer, very important to the history of Bourbon, had one of the great golden palates, and just revered by anybody who met him. What was it like growing up with your father? Dad, if anything, was very humble. And growing up, I, look, my dad was a scientist, really. That's what he was at heart. And, you know, the, the bourbon was just an aspect of his science. You know, he could have been a scientist doing anything. And bourbon was just, you know, the result or a tool or whatever you want to call it. So, you know, I was more, you know, I was more interested in the geeky science stuff. You know, my dad would bring home microscopes from the lab and, you know, I would stick my parents' fingers for blood so I could look at, the, look at their blood under the microscope and silly little things like that. But they fostered that. You know, I'd go to, the, I'd go to, the, to work with my dad. I'd go to the lab and get to hang out there. So, you know, it wasn't necessarily fostering an interest in bourbon as opposed to just fostering interest in science in general. But it wasn't until I got a lot older that, that I started to understand and appreciate how important what he was doing was to the history of bourbon. And, and that's really eventually what ended up leading to Angel's Envy was an under, and, and truthfully, Fred, I, I walked, I ran away from what my dad did because I did not want to do what he did because I didn't want to appear to have gotten there because of my father. So looking back now, I wish I would have wised up sooner. It, it wasn't one of those things where like, I remember, you know, being at that age and like, I don't want to do what my dad does because 
I'm cooler, I'm better. Because it no, wasn't one of those? No, I mean, at the time, being a master distiller wasn't cool. You know, I mean, nobody, nobody knew who the master distiller was. Nobody really cared. Um, I, I don't think it was that. I think it's just that I always had a thing where I didn't want to get somewhere because my dad was there and people would think I got there because of my dad, not because of my hard work to get there. Mm. Okay. When, when you were growing up, did he bring bourbon home in, into the home and talk about bourbon? Was it a part of the... Was it part of the household? No, not really. Um, once again, and I think it's the same way with my boys. You know, we have so many samples and so many distilled spirits around the house. Certainly as a responsible parent, you have to educate your kids, but it's just something that's there all the time. Now, now my dad, I'd always find a stash of new make under the bathroom cabinet, you know? And what dad did was, is he used that for aftershave in the morning. So he would get lab samples from work and they were in little glass bottles and at 100 and whatever proof, and that's what he would slap on his face for aftershave in the morning. So, uh, so dad would reek of booze, you know, at 7 a.m. in the morning. Uh, Is that what you drank as a teenager? No, I didn't really. I, I tell you what, I, I never, um, as a teenager, that was really not part of, you know, and when I went to school, things changed a little bit. But I think it's because it's there all the time. It's part of your life all the time. It's more of a commodity as opposed to something that, that be anything different than that. And, you know, even in, even in school, as I became of drinking age, I drank some nasty stuff when I had access to some really good stuff, you know, which didn't make a lot of sense either looking back. So um, There was something nasty you drank. I'm not going to say. <laughs> I'm not going to name any names. All right. I mean, did, you, did someone like in your fraternity make it themselves? No, I mean, although I would distill, I did this when I was little though, I had uh, little test tubes in my closet and I would ferment things in those test tubes. How old were you? Oh, God, probably 10. You were, you were fermenting things in your closet at the age of 10 But it old. wasn't to drink, it was just to, it wasn't to, to experience the effects Andrew, of alcohol. Andrew was doing that at 15. That's true, yeah. we'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> that was stuff was terrible. nasty. So, uh, so yeah, I, I, so I guess okay. that now that I think about it, I'm glad we talked about this. I haven't really thought about it in a long time. That was probably my first fermentation experience, other than going with Dad to work. Okay, so you were fermenting at 10 years old. That's great. A Andrew, since it was brought up, uh, uh, what was going on in, in your closet when you were, were you, were you making moonshine or no, what's I, going I had on? I wonderful idea to try to make some wine. Okay. But at the time, I didn't know that baking yeast and brewing or, you know, distilling yeast was vastly different and created vastly different things. Tried to use a little baking yeast, let it just sit in the garage for two or three months. And oh, nice. You tried to make strawberry yeah. wine, too. Yeah, it was strawberry. Oh. I tried to, you know, boil the strawberries myself and everything, and okay. yeah, it was not good at all. Well, in, in your defense, it's probably better than toilet wine. <laughs> I, I wouldn't go that far. Yeah, oh. <laughs> So you've had toilet wine. It's, it's, no, it was right. bad. Yeah, that's yeah. a that's a prisoner joke yeah. there. Eh, slightly <laughs> toxic, maybe. Um, nobody else in my family would drink it. No. So Kyle, you tasted it. Was it was it? it was really bad. Okay. Did you ever make any fermentations when you when you were younger? Not on purpose. No. Not that I know. Not that I'm aware of. No. Never did. So Andrew, I want to talk about your grandfather with you. Like you're. You're, you're, you're 22, 23? 24. 24? I think, am I 20? Yeah. Don't ask me. 23. Yeah. <laughs> so you, um, you got to spend some time with, with, with your grandfather. 
What was, what was that like? You weren't in the business yet, but what was it like? What was it like spending time with, with Lincoln? I mean, kind of like my dad said, you know, when I was growing up, you know, he was a master distiller. Everybody thought that was cool. I didn't really appreciate that it was cool. Uh, to me, he was just my grandfather, you know, funny, crazy guy who drank a lot. So, <laughs> Funny, crazy guy who drank a lot. Yeah. But, yeah, but yeah, for work. For work, yes, for work purposes. Yeah, but I mean, it was a lot of fun. Like, unfortunately, I wasn't able to learn distilling from him. Uh, fortunately, I've been able to learn it from Kyle, who got to learn it from him. But, yeah, I mean, to me, he was just my grandfather. You know, he might have been a celebrity in his own right, but... Definitely was. Wasn't special. That, that, you know, I don't know what I'm trying to say. It was, is Kyle a good teacher? Somewhat. Yeah. Uh-huh. I mess up a lot. I don't know if that's his fault or my fault, but... If he tells you it's your fault, then it's your fault. That's, that's, the, that's the rule of the teacher, yeah. is that right? Uh, so, Kyle, you, you got to spend a lot of time with your grandfather, and you went to, the, you went to UofL, into the chemistry program, and, and largely because of your grandfather, correct? What was, what was it like spending time with him? This is a little different. So, you know, I never got to experience him in a, like a, a real work environment. It was always while being a work environment, you know, but it was always with my dad or, or with him in, a, in, a, in the plant, blending, tasting barrels, um, you know, almost kind of just, you know, shooting the breeze. Um, he always had a, a, quick, a quick joke, a, a joke, a good quip. Um, didn't take a whole lot very seriously. Uh, always, you know, make mistakes. You, you, you put the hose on backwards or you, you dump a barrel um, into the wrong place or you forget to close the valve before you dump it and he looks at you like you're the dumbest person on the planet and he just smiles at you and goes, you'll figure it out. Um, but it, it was really nice. You know, he, he was very patient. Um, the, the, the industry is very close-knit. Yeah. And... Uh, you could tell that he had been doing it for a long time and he had a, a tremendous amount of respect from a lot of people in the industry. Because, um, you know, everywhere you went, people knew him, knew of him. And for those that didn't know him, he talked to you and treated you like you were his best friend for that 60 seconds he spent and, and, and really focused on you. It felt like you were the only person in the room, um, whether, you know, you were on an event with him or it was me with him or, you know, any of us. Um, it's just a, a, a unique experience. Um, you know, I thought about this, I think you guys saw the other day, it was, I was at work on Saturday and I, I was thinking, man, I wish, I wish he was here. I, you know, I had some questions and you know, it's, it's just the three of us and we, you know, there's people we can reach out to, but it's just not the same. You miss him. Yeah, oh yeah. What are the moments you miss him the most? When something goes wrong or something unexpected happens in the plant and we're going, Hmm, who with 50 years of experience could we call? Oh, nobody. Um, you know, there's, there was times when he was around, we'd have, we'd have a problem. When we first launched the brand, we um, uh, questions about filtration and picked up the phone and we explained what was happening. He goes, oh, well, you know, it's X, Y, Z and you, you need to do this and do that and buy that piece of equipment. You know, it would have taken us two years to figure that out. And it, for him, he, he had done it forever. He knew exactly what he was looking for. So, Dan would have been at home in that distillery. That would have been his playground. You know, I mean, I could, I built a brand on my, well, not honestly on my own, but I can build a brand. I can run a business. I can, you know, do all the things to bring Angels Envy to market. But um, having Dad there now, like Kyle says, it's, you know, those are the times you think, well, I wish Dad was here. But when something goes sideways, 
And, you know, every time I walk up to that distillery, I get the same feeling that, you know, that first of all, there's a, still I feel a presence of dad there every time we're there. But, um, wow, you know, now is the time when dad, we really could have used you right now, you know, uh, when the fermentation goes crazy or something goes weird. But um, dad was a very quiet presence. You know, he's very steadying, very quiet presence. He, he lets you learn and, and at your, you know, and, and he let us make mistakes, which was great because that's the only way you can get to where you need to be is if you, you make those mistakes. So once again, he had this quiet presence and he never met a stranger. And, um, you know, I've never heard anybody say anything negative about my father ever. So there was, uh, a craft distiller I met once and he said that Lincoln offered to taste his samples like for, for nothing. Like, you know, now they people charge ten grand to do something like that. And he would just send him samples to taste and he's like, Your fermentation's off, you need a you need to decrease it by a day and he would fix it and it would taste better. And that's the stuff that your dad did. You know, it's like he he was very much someone who would mentor anyone who would listen. And I personally wish I had more time to, to spend with him. And um, it was a sad day for, for the entire business when we lost him. But, you know, you all lost a family member. And for, even though it's been five, five years, um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry because we, we all miss him. So, you know, Fred, that that defines, though, the industry, you know, that that type of, uh, you know, dad's willingness to to work. And we we do the same things, you know, on a regular basis. We're always sharing knowledge. We're always, you know, working with brands that maybe wanting to come to market and need advice on things, this and that and the other. But um, that is really the essence of the bourbon. And not just I, I don't think it's the entire spirits industry. I would say the bourbon industry in particular is that type of those relationships that willingness to share, that willingness to share experiences and, you know, share victories and, you know, all this and that and the other. But that's what makes it fun for me. One of the things that makes it fun for me are those relationships. And, and that's what I think makes bourbon a special spirit. You know, it's got, it's got, um, it's got life beyond a product that's just something in a bottle. You know, it's, it's something that transcends a, a, a mere commodity. A lot of generations that go into it. Absolutely. And typically those generations would have uh, made something from uh, at least 51% corn and distilled it and put it into a new charred oak barrel, but not these guys, not the Andersons. They decided to, to take another step. And we're going to taste that step. And then after, we're going to talk about why you all decided to, uh, as a family, the decision for putting it into a port barrel. But first let's 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 have a taste. Let's let's go to the on the far on the left. Far left. My a little stuck here. So be careful. Uh, one note on what you're tasting. On the end it says you have the Angels NV Cash Strength 2015. You actually have uh, the 2014, which is a bottle that's twice as valuable as the 2015. So you actually have an extremely rare taste tonight in the uh, cash strength. And we will be auctioning off uh, this year's bottle of, uh, of cash strength uh, later for, for the museum. Again, this is a nonprofit, so 
every, um, every little bit helps. So tell us, as we taste the, uh, the, the what, I, what I've always said was the most controversial bourbon when it was launched, why did you all do the uh, go in port barrels and um, go through that process with me? What were y'all, the meetings before and what were y'all talking about and why port barrels? It wasn't a long walk to get there. You know, when the way things went, you know, when I, when I decided I wanted to do this project, I went to dad and I said, dad, dad had been retired from Brown Foreman for a few years. And I said, dad, well, I want to do this as a family. Are you interested? And he said, sure. So at that point in time, you know, cause you say, okay, we're going to the bourbon business. Well, it's not that easy, you know, <laughs> you know, we got to get there some way or another. We, but the challenge to dad was, and what I wanted dad to do, if you're going to come out of retirement, dad, I want to look at doing something that's unique or something that maybe you played around with the Brown Foreman that for whatever reason did not make it out or did not, didn't work or didn't get perfected or the market wasn't ready for it. So we kept coming back to secondary barrel finishes. A lot of scotches do it. A lot of single malts, they'll finish in secondary barrels, port barrels, sherry barrels, but it never really been done successfully with American whiskey. So as we talked about different crazy ass ideas to do, we kept coming back to that particular crazy ass idea at the time. So that's what we settled on, Fred. You know, we thought that was a differentiator. We thought it would be cool to do something that nobody had really done with American whiskeys. Uh, you know, now, people had done it before. For example, Booker No had done it in the late 90s, but no one had ever said, we're going to do that as a mainstay product. That's going to be our, they'd always been like experimentations. Right, and it, it, experimentations and really weren't really commercially, hugely commercially successful at the time, but it was timing. You know, timing's everything in this business. So taking those same brands now and bringing them back, you know, would be a different story. You know, if, if, you know like the, the, B, the masterpiece, the B masterpiece and so on and so forth. So, um, but I think we're the first people to ever, like Fred said, make it a mainstay and make it something that, that was very controversial at the beginning because of the classification and something that people really don't ask twice about now because it's become a very common thing. Well, there's still people who bring it up. Well, people and, like you. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's a never-ending never discussion. Is this really bourbon? Well, because, so let me just, we have, for the new folks we have in here, to be bourbon, it has to be come from a, fer, a fermented mash of at least 51% corn, come off the still at no higher than 160 proof, go into a new charred oak container, uh, AKA barrel, at no higher than 125 proof and bottled at uh, 80 proof. Uh, nowhere in the basic definition does it say, can you put it into a, uh, a used barrel? And that these guys, not, they didn't find a hole, but if you look at the bottle, it says uh, straight bourbon finished in port barrels. And now you have a new classification you can use. But so I know you've, you've talked this, you, you've given this bill a lot. I, you know, I think I want Kyle to give this bill because Kyle, Kyle gives a really good answer as to why this is still bourbon. And just tell us, why is Angel's Envy still bourbon? Because you can't un-bourbon a bourbon. One, I mean, one, that's a simple way of putting it. Once it's a bourbon, it's still a bourbon no matter what you do to it. So in our case, as long as, as, long as it don't lie to you, 
and tell you we put it into a port barrel. As long as we tell you it went into a port barrel, it's just a bourbon finished in a port wine barrel. I think you have to be very clear. Angel's Envy is not a bourbon. It's a Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey finished in port wine barrels. That's the entire statement of contents. So, for example, when you see advertising from Angel's Envy, it will just not say Angel's Envy bourbon. It will say Angel's Envy bourbon finished in port wine barrels. That's the truthful designation. And there have been, you know, that people try to bend that a little bit, you know. And there are some finished products that have been classified as bourbons, you know. So even the federal government sometimes doesn't know what the hell they're thinking about, you know. Wait, are you saying that our federal government doesn't know what they're doing? No offense to my dear friend, Congressman Yarmouth here. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) He may agree with that sometimes as well. But, uh, and we're, by the way, before I forget, we're thankful that he joined us. Talk about a big supporter of our industry. And, uh. A major cheerleader. Hey, he runs the Bourbon Caucus. Uh, Congressman right. Yarmouth, everybody, you, runs si. the I'm Bourbon sorry, Caucus. I, well, Thank you. <laughs> so, you know, that's, uh, you know, look, I mean, spirits are very complicated, and I can understand how sometimes there's a, a divergence. In, but, but now, it used to be at the very beginning, we'd have a lot of people really raise that flag yeah. as something. And I call it, say, the purists or whatever. That's probably not a fair thing to say. But, um, but once Don't again, hate on us. Don't hate on us. No, I, I'm, I'm not. I just, I think it's bourbon and better. So, so you, know how, you know how this problem gets fixed? It is you add a new class, you add a new level of bourbon. That's all you got to do. And, you know, I understand that there's a frustration of, uh, you know, for people who put it in, in, in new casks. But think about it from... From a consumer perspective, not everyone follows a tight line of of um, a flavor like you do. Some people will fill that barrel up with a quarter quarter amount of port, you know, or maybe it's an eighth amount of port. But is that flavoring? Is that doesn't that change the profile? And then how can it considered to be a Kentucky straight bourbon if it's finished in a uh, port barrel that has a quarter amount of port in it? You know, so not everyone is is being as religious to the to what you're doing as you. So uh, when when you get pushback on this, I hope that you are not taking a personal no. and just realizing that people really just do love bourbon and are trying to protect the sanctity of it. Well, you know, there are two things here. There's the legal regulatory definition of bourbon, okay, and you also have truth in. And, and consumerism and, and things like that. So what you're talking about where you're, you're not only, you know, you're, you may be legally correct in what you're doing, but if you're doing something that, that is misleading to consumers or in a way that, that is not an accurate representation of what you say you're doing, that's where you start crossing that line a little bit. And in the industry, we've seen a little bit of that here and there. And you guys, I, I see you all as leaders in this category. You know, you're, you're the largest product of this category. Um, and you know you all do a nice job, and you kind of set the bar. But if you wanted, if you wanted to press the federal government to to add a little a special type of whiskey like they did in the late 1960s for light whiskey, yeah, that was a big success. <laughs> light whiskey was an awful. That was that was awful. We could talk about that for an hour, folks. Yeah, all right. yeah, that that's a that's a different thing. But you know that's that's what's missing here is that there's not. There, you fall through the cracks of, of what's allowed as, as, as bourbon, and I think that's probably what can be fixed. Would you, would you like to see a special, special designation for barrel finishes, or do you like where it's at? I don't, have a, I don't have a problem with where we are, okay. um, as long as 
we don't see people going way off the reservation and doing stuff that, that you know, may stretch that line we just talked about. You know, you, you usually only put regulation in place to, I don't think regulation is, is it, in a lot of places, fosters, you know, uh, ingenuity and creativity and innovation. It's a way to kind of preserve the status quo and keep people from, from polluting that particular area. So as far as regulations go, you know, I'm not real, I don't think we need it right now, but. Andrew, do you agree with your dad? Yeah, someone's gonna ruin it for everybody. Just, <laughs> that's how it's gonna happen. People are gonna start diverting, trying to get away with more and more and. Well, that's how it happens usually, right? Right, I mean, that's how you end up with, with things is that people don't necessarily do the right things. Yeah. But, um, but, you know, we're playing around with all kinds of different uh, barrel finishes. Mash bill, both Andrew and Kyle are working on different innovations. So you know, I intend to keep pushing the envelope. You know, I, I intend to be as creative as we can, but we can talk about this later if you want to. That, but, but at the same time, we have to honor the history of bourbon. You know, we have, we're blessed to be able to do what we do. You know, blessed to have a family generations that have done this for a while. But with that responsibility, you're able to do some cool things, but you can't forget that responsibility you have to honor the history and heritage of birth. So take us through the, uh, the actual process, Kyle, of, uh, of putting it into a port barrel, because you, you all have a very uh, scientific and system, you have a system. Take us, take us through that. A lot of people have not, here have not seen that. What, what's it like? Sure. So uh, we start very similar to other, other bourbon whiskey products. We've got the 51% the corn. It's actually 72% corn that's aged in a new charred barrel, goes into the barrel at 125. Um, that's aged for at least four years, so four to six, four to seven years old for our, our product. And what Andrew uh, and myself and, and one of our other members of our blend team and the plant will do is we will find uh, about eight to 15 barrels of, of various ages, so we'll pull you know, some four-year-old, we'll pull some five-year-old, we'll pull some six-year-old, and we'll blend those barrels together in, in a tank. And you know, we'll start with 10 barrels, and we'll add a few barrels here and a few barrels there until we get a, a nice whiskey in its own right. And we'll take that whiskey at, at barrel proof, and we put that into a port wine barrel. Is it dry? Is it just a little wet? What's, what's it like? Depends. So we have a couple different things. So, uh, so for every, let's say, 20 bourbon barrels we dump, um, we'll fill about 12 to 15 port barrels with that. And we'll fill about, uh, about two to three of those port barrels. will always be a first-use port barrel. So we get port barrels in a couple times a year from Portugal. And those will be, depending on what time of the year we get them, maybe still a little moist or, or a little more dry. That, that those barrels get shipped with a little bit of residual port in them. But by the time they're dumped in Portugal, they get through Portuguese customs, they get on a boat, they get shipped here, they get through US customs, they arrive to us, we unload them, we fill them up, it may be three or four months. So those barrels have dried a little bit. Um, that, that port, you know, is, is a, little bit, a little bit of tacky residue left on the barrel, but for the most part, it's, it's dry. Um, so we'll put the whiskey in there, and those first-use port barrels are a very integral part of our finishing process because those are going to imbue the most port um, uh, nuances to the, to the whiskey. Uh, what kind of helps us balance our flavor profile is we reuse those barrels. So the, after the first use, there's not as much port influence left. So we'll fill those back up, and the whiskey coming out of that barrel will get blended with the first use, and a second use, and a third, and a fourth, and a fifth use port barrel, so we can balance that port influence. Because sometimes 
those first used port barrels are way too much port. You don't want to do those by yourself unless you're doing something special or they, or they taste or, or are defined as something different. Um, so we want to blend those first use port barrels. We'll blend some second use, some third use to get a balanced profile to get what you guys have in your glass today. So. Could you all taste a little bit of the port in the glass? Could you taste that, that, that first taste? Yeah. I, you always, I always get like a nice little hint of yeah. uh, chocolate, which is a very common note in, in port. It's a nice aroma and, and it yeah. sits on your, on your finish. We didn't want to create a whiskey that tasted like it was mixed with port wine. Um, because that's not what we're doing, and we wanted to make sure that's very clear. It's just an, an added, it's a finish. It's an added nuance to the whiskey. So as, as, as consumers, like you all are distilling now. Yes. Uh, prior, in, in, prior to this, you guys were purchasing stocks from, from other distilleries uh, to do this with. Now, if we were wanted to uh, purchase the, the bourbon that you all were using uh, for, for this, for before you put it in a port barrel to compare it to what bourbon would we buy to have that comparison? Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it uh, a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And you can get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone. Transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com bourbon. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S dot com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Prior to this, you guys were purchasing stocks from, from other distilleries uh, to do this with. Now, if we were wanted to uh, purchase the, the bourbon that you all were using uh, for, for this, for, before you put it in a port barrel, to compare it to what bourbon would we buy to have that comparison? We talked about this today. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's a new way of asking. That is a good way. That's, that's a trick question. Yeah. <laughs> now, basically, uh, you're not allowed to disclose where you get your, your the, 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 yeah. the, whiz, the bulk whiskey from. Let me, let, me, let me kind of clarify that. So yep. when we started Angel's Envy, we didn't have our distillery yet. Yep. So fortunately, with our connections in the industry, we were able to get people to produce whiskey or find whiskey produced our specifications, which we purchased 
We, we aged most of it. We did the port barrel finishing. We did the blending. We did everything related to that product except for the initial distillation. Now with our new distillery, we're doing that as well. So what Fred's trying to sneakily do, by the way. Which I've done how many times in a now? Million, it's like being a deputy. Are there any lawyers here? <laughs> Steve, how many times do you, in different ways, can you ask a question in a deposition to get to the answer you want to get? There you go. That's what I'm talking about. So, um, so anyway, so we don't talk about the producers. We have non-disclosures, and it just makes it, look, bourbon's all about stories, right? Lies and war stories is what I like to say. And, uh, but I tell you what's remarkable, Fred, you'll probably appreciate this, that we are able to manage inventory or manage products that's produced from other producers and every time create a consistent taste profile. So that talks about the importance of blending and the artistry of blending. People don't talk about that. People talk about the distillers all day long. The blending, which is what Andrew and Kyle do better than I could ever imagine doing, is the most integral part of what we do. Does that make you proud as a father to see that? Very much so. It's awesome. Very much so. And, and they've really, I've been out, <clears throat> I'm on the road about 60% of the time. So, you know. I, What's look, your title, the chief? I don't know. Create uh, entertainment Bottle washer officer? or whatever. Whatever. I'll do whatever needs to be done at, at the plant. And he's, he's still a fireman, everybody. He still work. He, how many hours a week do you work as a fireman? Uh, I just work when the pager goes off. <laughs> If there's a run and I'm, I'm in town, I'll make the run. So, you know, it just managed to work in. You know, my family is so patient, and I think we all appreciate how hard we had to work to create Angel's Envy. We appreciate how hard we have to work to maintain it. We also appreciate the importance of doing things beyond work, volunteerism, philanthropy, things like that. So, you know, you have to make time to do things like that. Yeah. Well, I want to. By the way, Andrew's a firefighter as well. He's a state certified firefighter. Are you really? And EMT. Yep. Thank you for your service. So, if anyone's choking tonight, we have two people up here. We're off duty. We can help you out. (laughs) No heart attacks tonight, nothing like that. Been there, done that. We love you. Seriously. Stay healthy. None of that business. I don't want that. Uh, Let's move on to, let's taste the rye, but keep the conversation going. So, let's, let's, we talk, Kyle talked about subtlety. All right. Uh, This is not. Subtlety (laughs) in finishing. So, the port barrel finish is very subtle. There is nothing subtle about the rum finish for this rye, which you're going to taste right now. On the nose, it's very rich. You get molasses. This is a rum barrel, by the way. So this is a rye whiskey finished in a rum barrel for up to 18 months. So on the nose, you get molasses. You get all kinds of stuff going on. When you taste it, you'll taste that influence of the, of the, of the rum finish as well as the spiciness from the rye, and it kind of dances back and forth between the two. It's 100 proof, which you probably would not have known if I didn't tell you. Um, it's very smooth for 100 proof. So, and my dad and I, we can talk about this whatever if you want to, Fred, had very strong opposing opinions about this when I created it. What do you think of the rye? It's different, right? Yeah, it's very different. This is like, you know, one of the things about rye is like rye has a little bit more of a kind of a, an experimentation um, allowance in the taste profile than I think bourbon does. Like you can do more with rye in, in other barrels. Like I've tasted uh, a sherry finished bourbon that's just awful. I've never had a bad sherry finished rye. Is it, I mean, I Kyle, you, just, you, what's that? You haven't drank the right uh, sherry finished bourbon yet. Well, no, I've had, it. I've had all of them. I mean, you know, I'm the reviewer. No, I'm saying you haven't, but I, my, my, my point is, I don't think anything's come to market yet that really hits the mark 
Oh, you, that's what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, you, okay. if you taste the sherry finish we've got, I've got in my plant right now, it'll change your life. Well, that's what I, I and I was going to, to Kyle and, and Andrew on this, is blenders, What what is it about rye that maybe makes it a little bit more flexible to to blend, or am I wrong in this? So rye typically is pretty one-dimensional. Um, for most consumers, it's just spice, yeah. heavy, heavy spice. Yep. And, and that's why the, the rum barrel, we felt paired really nicely with this because you can bring in that sweetness to, to kind of counterbalance that. Um, bourbon, you get a lot. You get fruits and, and, and woodiness and, and some spices and some florals and different things. And, and bourbon typically is you know, kind of very nice on its own. And at least in our experience, the, the rye is, while it's good, you know, graininess, some spiciness, maybe a little bit of floral, and that's about it, typically. Yeah. So rye kind of leaves a, a gap that you can fill with different things, whether it's a sherry finish or a rum finish or Madeira or, or whatever you're doing. It's easier to mix a spicy with a sweet than a sweet with a sweet. And that Andrew nailed it. it it's, I get compliments on the rye all the time. Oh, Wes, that's genius, blah, 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 blah. It's really not genius, folks. It's real simple. Rye spicy, the rum finish is sweet, it works. You know, it's not, it's not that genius. The, now the artistry comes in though is to be able to make it work in a way to where you can pick out all those different things. You know, when you've got something this complex and the, these many flavors, it's easy to get something that's a jumbled mess and you can't pull anything out of it. So the art here was to try to get it in a way that danced back and forth between the sweet and the spicy and got something that, that wasn't a jumbled mess. And I think, we, I think we managed to get there with that. So we talked about rum. You guys are now owned uh, by Bacardi. But when the purchase came out that B Bacardi acquired you, uh, it became known that they were a minority investor. When did they come in as a, a minority investor to, to Angel's Envy? They came in pretty early. Um, our initial partners were friends with Facundo Bacardi. And, you know, it just, um, they thought they didn't have a bourbon. They thought it might be cool to be part of the brand. So they had a very small stake in the company, a seat on the board, a non-voting seat on the board. So for us, it was more of an advisory thing. Fortunately, Bacardi was smart enough to leave us the hell alone, okay? And they let us run the brand and let us, you know, because they've never made bourbon before. They get it. Now, they made some amazing rums. So on the technical side, geniuses. They're great. But so they let us build the brand. We were able to work together closely. And then when the time came to where we thought about um, bringing on a partner or selling the brand, they were the first logical place for us to start. They're a family company. They understand the value of, of keeping, they understand keeping values, keeping culture, and they promised to really let us do what we know we can do. So I'm, I am friends with a lot of uh, you know, people who are investors in town, and everybody was like kicking themselves for not investing with you, uh, you know, a few years ago. What was that time like when you were needing capital and you were trying to, to raise funds and trying to get people to believe in the, in the project? It, it, um, on the business side, you know, I think we were really smart. I mean, we, we were fortunate to have some, I, I, if anything, I'm smart enough to put really smart people around me, okay? And, um, and our partnership, we were able to bring the brand to market really for about $400,000. Bring it to market, something in a bottle. So we did not bring any investors until after we already had a brand on the shelves. 
So, and for those of you, once again, that are in business or raise money, that's the best possible way to do it because you get a good valuation. You've already got a brand that's worth something. So it so was- So that was your money going in. That was to, our to money going in. Okay. And, and then we brought in outside money. But when you look at what we raised and what we sold the company for, we raised about 8% of the, what ended up selling the company for in equity. Well, what, what did you sell it for? I, we, it, An undisclosed sum. It was, re, yeah, there were lots of no, different numbers reported. <laughs> uh, Signed paperwork. Somewhere in there. Um, I mean, there were numbers reported anywhere from 150 to 200 million reported. So, um, you know, so we, once again, $400,000 at the beginning. Was that then, accurate reporting or? Well, it was somewhere. It's reported. Somewhere in that range from $1 to a few right. million. So. Well, thank you. But, uh, you know, it, 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 let's tell you what, it, timing's everything, folks. You know, I mean, it, we had a great brand. We had a great product. We have something really good in a bottle. We had a good story, I believe. And we had people like you in this room who appreciate bourbon. And that's really why we're here today, if, if I really want to drill down. And, you know, timing is everything. We just managed to hit it right at the right spot, the right time. And uh, and have are you, are you do you all still have a stake in the in the brand or are you or do you have a, a they bought the entire company okay so we still operate the company every day on a daily basis we're we're running the show the same the, um, the nice thing about having a partner like that or an owner like that is we're able to let them mess with the back office stuff you know I don't have to worry look I don't have to go into QuickBooks and fool around with accounting now I don't have to deal with legal I don't have to deal with labeling I don't have to deal with all that stuff. We've got a company that handles all that, and we can do what we're good at, that's innovate and continue to make bourbon. You know, I've got Andrew bringing me, you know, amazing ideas on a weekly basis of different things he's interested in doing. I've got Kyle doing his thing. So, you know, I mean, sometimes it gets to be a pain in the ass with a big company, I can tell you that. But um, you're kind of swatting flies sometimes, you know. Um, but that's just the nature of the beast. Um, well, the nice thing is they, it's, it is just swatting flies. They don't force anything on us. They, they let us do what we do very well, for the most part. Yeah, it's a great arrangement, for real. You want to elaborate on that, Kyle? Or? Well, I mean, we've heard horror stories of, not horror stories, but we've heard some unfortunate uh, changes that companies have gone through from being acquired. You know, well, big companies are great at type thing. They're so. great at killing small brands. You, everybody in this room that's in business understands that. You know, large companies, number one, cannot create brands, typically. <laughs> Okay, they're not nimble enough. They're not usually in turning a big company is like turning an aircraft carrier. It doesn't happen overnight. You know, we want to be a speedboat, and that's the way we operate the company. So the, the the art is to manage the expectations of the mothership, is what I call it. Okay, don't let the mothership get too much in the way. Feed them what they need to get, and continue to do what you're good at doing. But the mothership has to be willing to do that. Yes. You know, they're not always willing to do that. But in our case, they've been willing to do that. So okay. um, we're fortunate. We're very fortunate to have that. I'm going to take, uh, take it to a, a, another side for a moment in that the, the bourbon industry is a family and that we all drink every, you know, I'm not brand affiliated, but you all still drink other people's stuff. Uh, I want to know your favorite bourbons that's not Angel's Envy. Andrew, I'll start with Go you. Ahead. I'm an old Forrester kind of guy. Yeah. You know, Why is that? I don't know. It's kind of got an iffy rep. It's getting a little better now they're working. Oh, who said it had stuff. an iffy rep? It's, it's great bourbon. Yeah, I think it's great bourbon. But there are yeah. people out there that 
you know, it's kind yes. of mid-shelf, so it's... I think the problem yeah. is the price point, you know, for so long. Yeah. It's so low. It's some of the okay. best bourbon in the world. But people think, well, hell, if it's for $18, it can't be that great. Well, guess what? It is some of the best in the world. And I've been telling Campbell Brown, those guys, Paul Barger for years, raise the price on that sucker and, and get what it's worth. And you're starting to see that now, you know? Yeah. But that's a great well, choice. Yeah. Old Forester 1920, I mean, he's, yeah, that's hard to beat. It's really hard amazing stuff, man. It's good. Yeah. And Brown Foreman, you know, is a very conservative company. They have not really been known, I, I think, for being very innovative. Um, I think with Woodford and Dad, that was definitely a huge innovation. But I'm seeing now, especially with some of these old Forester releases and other things like that, I, I love to see that that hundred a year plus of history is really becoming less concerned about protecting what you got and, and starting to be more of a leader in the industry. Yeah, they're, they're coming around. So Wes, what's your favorite bourbon outside of Angel's Envy? I, I'm a collector. I, I love, I'll try any bourbon I can get my hands on. Um, Eagle Rare is one of my favorites. The, the regular 10-year-old? Well, that or the older, the older age statement stuff. Okay. Um, some of the older, the Elijah Craig age statement stuff, the older stuff okay. there. I like, craft, I like supporting craft producers. You know, High West um, is another one. Now, there's a, a distillery we helped uh, create up in New York called Catskill Distilling. Um, they've got some crazy stuff that's really good. And they've been experimenting with accelerated maturation that Dad not set up for them. So, look, I, folks, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an advocate for Angel's Envy first. Then I'm an advocate for bourbon and Kentucky. So, you know, there's so many good products out there. There's so many choices. And I love drinking other folks' stuff. You know, it's funny. I can go into a bar. Fred, you're probably like this, too. I can look at a wall of bourbon, and because of how tight our industry is, 95% of every bottle on that wall we have some connection to. Yeah. I know that person. I know the master distiller. That person's a family member. That person, whatever. We help this, that, and the other. And it's so, it's that interconnected. Kyle, what's your favorite bourbon other than Angel's Envy? Four Roses, single barrel. V yeast? Hmm? V yeast? Usually, yeah. Okay. Usually. That's you getting really a little bit. Really yes. Absolutely, you I, can tell the difference I, between the yeast. Come over to the house, we'll tie them out. All right. Sounds, sounds <laughs> we, like. We have uh, all of the recipes, so. All right. <laughs> side by side, yes. We'll Alone, bring, it, not all. We'll bring Rutledge over and see if he can tell us what uh, <laughs> Oh, yeah, know. that's, that's a pallet now. Yeah. Even though he's, he's, he's still got it. Yep. He's still got it. So it, it, we, we've still got a little bit of time here, uh, but I want to get to what I think is one of, the, one of the best releases that you all have had in the past, uh, you know, since you came out. Paul Packholt, uh, you know, picked the 2012 release as the best spirit in the world, but I would put, the, I would put this up... Uh, against it, the 2014 release. It's, this has always been one of my favorites. Can you tell us a little bit about it? And folks, please enjoy this. This is, you're not gonna find this on the market. This is something that, the first year we did it was 2012. And my partners did not wanna do it. We felt like it was too early in the life cycle of the brand to do something special release. You know, We just launched in 2011. So for those guys, it was like, oh hell, we don't, we can't, we don't have time to do this. It might dilute our, you know, our core brand. So I essentially just did it, um, and I'm glad we did because, like Fred said, Paul Picault named it the number one spirit in the world, not just the number one bourbon, the number one spirit in the world in 2012. So we do it every year. 
Um, Andrew and Kyle are largely responsible for the barrel selections that go into it. They're setting aside barrels throughout the year that they think will be good for cask strength. Now, and Andrew was not 21 when this came out. No. He didn't work for us yet. Yeah, yeah Andrew was, didn't work for us yet. He didn't yet. do it back then. This, this one's unique, though. So Grandpa passed away in 13. So this is the first one that you and I did by ourselves. That's right. Yeah. You know, but Dad, wait a minute. This is 14, right? This is 14. This is 14. So Dad passed. All right. So this is what happened with this release. God, it's funny. It's just a few years ago, but I forget. I'll, I remember. I can't remember what I had for lunch today anyway. So... Um, I have to, it's hard for me to talk about this because it gets kind of emotional sometimes. This was the last spirit that Dad tasted before he passed away. So it was symbolic in a way that Dad, and, and we did it as, you know, Dad was sick. So Kyle and I did it ourselves. And, you know, to get Dad's approval was kind of him saying, you know, guys, you got this, you know, and he passed away in September of 2014. So for dad to say that and to kind of get that, you know, that final kind of, sorry, <laughs> uh, that final approval was, was very important to us. And I, and I think it's good. You know, <laughs> Isn't that what this is all about, though? Mm -hmm. yeah. It's about that connection mm -hmm. to family. And, and, you know, it doesn't even have to be, it, it can be a moment. But that's, that's the whole purpose of, of bourbon is to enjoy the moment, right? And, yes, it is. And when we taste this, we're essentially tasting, you know, connection, the family bond, the, it brings us to that moment. And, it, and this one has always tasted so differently to me, always. I mean, I get like a vermouth note in here that I, I don't get in any bourbons. So this is alone from the taste profile. It's gorgeous, but the story makes it better. You know, and that's genuine. I'm, and I'm glad you mentioned that. You know, bourbon, like we've been drinking spirits as as humans for a couple thousand years, you know. And, you know, spirits are designed to enhance our social experiences together. And we get together for special occasions. We get together for birthdays and have a drink. We get the, you know, hard day at work, we go have a drink, you know, for when somebody passes away, you know, we toast in their honor. So they become a significant part of our social structure and our social interaction. And um, I, I really think about that. Yeah. You know, I, I, it's not just something that we make to make money, you know, or we to support our families. It's a, you know, it's got a historical significance and there is that social aspect of it. I get letters all the time from people or people, hey, come and sign this bottle for me. This is going to this occasion or for a wedding or we toasted, you know, I've got some army folks that said we toasted this for our lost brothers when we came back from deployment. You know, that's pretty impactful to me. Look, we're not, we're not curing cancer here, all right? But I think that, um, you know, we're having fun with this, aren't we, right? This is okay. There's nothing wrong with that. So 
So I have one last question for you. And that is, what is your future? I'm not saying angels future. I'm talking individual. And I'll start. I'll start with you. What? what what's your future? We're seeing master distiller. I don't know. Still trying to figure all that out. I'm right now. I'm distilling, so I've kind of jumped from section to section. Uh, so far, I think the blending side's a little more. My speed, I think I've liked that a little bit more so far. So more the master blender direction, or you know, even, I mean, eventually we're gonna have to open another distillery, or you know, we're gonna spread our brand out, spread our wings a little bit more, and oh, wings. maybe there's other uh, See other the directions bottle, right? I could take. But hey. I mean, I've only been in this industry for a couple of years. I've only done everything for you know, this is the longest I've been doing anything. Is I'm distilling now for a year and a half, so I haven't really picked my direction yet, but say the next couple of years I will. Did any of us know what they wanted to do at 24 years old? I know, it's fantastic. It's, it's, <laughs> you know, actually, yes, I did. I knew what I was I going know to do. you would, yeah. Fred. Yeah, I'm <laughs> wearing uh, ascot. Yeah, wearing ascots and writing about bourbon. Yeah, <laughs> I knew that. I think there's a class for that now. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah the, oh, the, hey, by the way, what, what did you major in in college, Wes? I, I look, I, I like... <laughs> The last time I spent in school was learning how to fly airplanes, um, and that's totally irrelevant to anything we're doing now. But, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm a collector of experiences, Fred. That's what I. Okay. That's all right. I'm all so about. We, we stole pickles and we're avoiding the question about what we majored in in college. Yeah. All right. It is. It, it, yeah, I, I can. Yeah, that's it. But, you know, on a more serious note, what, what is the future for, for Wes Henderson? You're. <laughs> I mean, you're becoming a, a, a celebrity. Uh, Candy Keurig is following you on Twitter, stalking you on airplanes. Um, you know, you're you're becoming worldwide known for for your love for bourbon. Are you are you are you going to do something else? You're going to become this ultra TV personality. What what can we expect from Wes Henderson? Fred, flattery will get you everywhere, I can tell you that right now. Um, <laughs> none of which any of that is true, except for the Katie Couric part, by the way. Um, this is a great business. It really is. It, um, it, it allows me to do things I've never thought I would ever do. Um, it's allowed me to um, you know, do things with my family I never thought I would be able to do. Um, work with my dad, which I never really thought would happen. Uh, meet wonderful people like we're having here, like we're doing here today. That's really the best part of what we do. So as long as I can continue doing those things, then I'll be happy. You know, I am kind of a restless, so as you can tell by my feet moving up here, you know, it's hard for me to sit still. I'm a pretty restless person, but. I am amazed you haven't stood up this entire time. <laughs> Normally Fred's, Fred threatened to tie me to the chair because folks, yep. I don't sit. <laughs> I am up pacing and talking. And, but this has been nice though, because I've been able to relax and we've been able to have a good discussion. So we'll see. You know, I think we've got a lot of, we've got a lot of unfinished work at Angels Envy. Um, I've got a bunch of files from my dad and a bunch of things we talked about doing. And I think there's some unfinished business here. So I'm going to keep doing, as long as I keep these guys involved, as long as my wife is continuing to be the saintly patient person she is. Right, honey? So, so. Um, I'll be good. And really, she's the one behind all this, if you really think about it, folks. Anybody that can put up with me and six boys at home every day. 
Sir. Kyle. Kyle, what what what's your future? Wait a minute. I'll tell. I have to. I'll tell them what their futures are. They don't really have a choice in this. But go ahead. Let's see what. What would you like, Kyle? What would you like to do? I'm already running the plant, so. <laughs> yes, you are. Uh, uh, so my grandfather. It took him. 20 years for Brown Foreman to name in their master stiller. Uh, I've been doing this for almost, uh, heck, eight years this year. So I, I figure next 15 years, maybe I'll have uh, figured that out, possibly earned that. And wow. I, I have nowhere else to go. You want to be a master distiller? I, I, that's, that's what I, my goal is. is to, you know, if you wanted to, you could call your marketing department and they would give you the title right now. Uh, <clears throat> That's a problem. We talked about this earlier too, Fred. Um, no. Why not? <clears throat> it needs to be earned. To be to be frank. So. Okay. No. Listen, I'm going to Walgreens and getting my plaque. I'm a master distiller right after this. So, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, but that's good. Glad to hear it. Like, so what do you, what do you want to distill? What are, you, what are your plans for the whiskey? Since I, I look at you, I love you, Wes, but I look at Kyle as the, 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 the caretaker for the, the liquid of the future. Am I right in that? That's fine with me. All right. I, I've got a house in Florida. I'd love to go there. You know, I'm good. <laughs> it's all good. Um, Look, do, you, do, you, do you trust the, the whiskey in his hands? Oh, yeah. I mean, these guys have learned from the best, and the best isn't me. It's my grandfather, or my father, rather, their grandfather. And, you know, we're, yeah. And we built that thing from the ground up. We know every nook and cranny and pipe and wire and hose and, you know, the still we intimately know. You know, every time it burps or makes a weird noise, we know what's going on. So, um, you know, and, and they're well-grounded. You know, that's just as important. They're, they're uh, reasonably smart, not as smart as their father, but um, they, uh, they're pretty, pretty sharp guys. Um, the future's in good hands. Well, with that said, uh, I think we have time for questions from the audience now. If anyone has a question, uh, Fred, right here. Very good name, by the way, sir. Hold on, we got a microphone coming. <laughs> I have been uh, fortunate enough to visit 179 distilleries around the world, and my wife has gone with me. And my wife does not drink whiskey. The reason I wanted and to And she's bring, still your wife, right? Yes. Okay. And the reason I wanted to bring this up is because she had the chance to meet your dad and your granddad, Lincoln. And, and I'm going to get teary-eyed because at the time he was suffering from cancer. And uh, he, uh, he took the time to talk with her for probably 15 or 20 minutes. And she told me, if this is the kind of people that run the bourbon industry... I'm all for it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You know, it's amazing. Lincoln had that incredible quality to make you feel so special when you were talking to him. I remember when, he, when I was talking to him, he told me I was his favorite writer. And, as, and I knew the way he, I knew it's like, you've never read a single thing I've written, but I will take it. <laughs> It made me feel good. 
Lies and war stories, Fred. Lies yes, and war stories. <laughs> uh, I'm from Bardstown, Kentucky. And, uh, Where are you? I can't see you. I'm sorry. Okay, go ahead. Thank you. Growing up there for many years, all my life. And uh, we're seeing a lot of warehouse growth down there. Of course, Lux has come down at Barstown Bourbon Company, and there's a whole bunch of growth down there. What do you see as your, with all the warehouse growth I'm seeing there, and I've lived there a long time, and uh, all of a sudden I'm seeing this growth. What do you see your warehouse needs for the future, and what are your plans kind of for that? And I'll leave it at that. Thanks. That's always the million-dollar question, or the, in our case, the multi-million-dollar question, um, is predicting the future. You know, anybody that tells you today that they could predict where bourbon is today, they're crazy. Nobody saw this coming. And um, we're actively we're actively pursuing sites to build more warehouses, right? Pretty much as we speak. And you know, the trick is though, you know, real estate in Kentucky and Louisville is so expensive. There's really not a lot of places to put them. You know, so when you've got the the, the, the black fungus issue, so you can't be too close to residential areas. So we're looking out in surrounding counties, you know, Nelson, uh, Trimble, Henry, Oldham, so on and so forth. So, um, yeah, you can make all the bourbon you want, but you gotta, you gotta store it. I can only put so much in my basement and uh, then you gotta find a place to put it. So that's the challenge in the industry now, by the way, is finding storage. Everyone's running out of room. Everyone's running out of room. There's some companies that are building warehouses to lease back to distillers. In front of the house. All that. That's, yeah, uh, slug our field. Maybe you could uh, lease some space on the, the field there when they're not playing. You know, we do, we do not store our product downtown. We have a bar- we have a warehouse out in Shively that holds about eighteen thousand barrels. We contract um, to other distilleries to store barrels there, but we don't store barrels at, at our location on Main Street. It's just too uh, it's too dangerous. The mayor frowns upon explosions in the middle of downtown. Just not, it's not good for business. It is not. No. For anybody. Unless it's the sewers blowing up, then it's okay. Yeah. You know, most of the downtown fires in this country were actually uh, really started by distilleries. So that's what led to, that's what led to fire insurance back in the 1800s was their distillery fires. But, you know, that's getting far too much into history for folks. We have a question right over here. I have an important girl's question. Who chose the shape of your bottle? It was it was a it was a team effort, you know. I mean, when we decided to do the name Angels Envy, we started out looking and we 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 keyed in on the Angel Share. You guys know this because you're fans of bourbon. So the Angel Share is what evaporates out of barrels as it sits in a warehouse, and we really thought that was really cool. Well, and we would have named it. We probably would have named the brand Angel Share if there wasn't an Australian wine that is trademarked Angel Share. So, but guess what? I'm really glad we didn't because we came up with Angel's Envy. So when you think of angels, we th- what's the first thing you think when you think of angels? Wings. So the wings have that shape. I wanted to put the wings on the back of the bottle so you could see them you know, through the, 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 the spirits. So then the, the bottle just took that same kind of organic shape. You know? And I like the fact that we may had a little femininity to it. You know, I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, because we knew more, it wasn't an overt thought though. It wasn't we're thinking, well, more women are drinking bourbon, we need to make it look feminine. It just happened to work out that way. And it is a sexy bottle. Yeah, it's a good looking bottle. That's okay. But guess what, it's not too sexy that the guys, that the dudes were not afraid to pick it up and take it to the counter, you know? There's that balance there, right guys? All right, when you, you know, you can understand what I'm talking about. So, it also uh, takes up uh, much more real estate on the shelf than other bottles, which is very convenient. Absolutely. We don't think about that kind of stuff, right? Come on. 
Do we have any other questions? Back, we have one back. right over here. And Zoe, you keep us informed uh, on our time. Do you think there'll be room for another generation in the business? Ask Kyle that one. He's trying already. We have our daughter, our granddaughter, uh, Maddie, and we have our grandson, Liam. So, you know, we're, uh, the Hendersons continue to procreate, which obviously we, with all these boys, uh, you know, fortunately we've got Michelle here, Kyle's wife, who's been tremendously supportive of Kyle and working, you know, probably 70 hours a week. So wow. who knows? Hopefully the next generation will find as much interest in it as we do. Should have brought the babies tonight, honey. Nah, no. No? <laughs> Michelle's like, hell no. <laughs> She's like, Friday night out, no way. If you have anything left, I would like you to pick it up, and I'd like to toast the Hendersons. Thank you so much. What you have done for Bourbon tonight is about you and what your family has done and what it will continue to do. Thank you so much. Thank Cheers. you. Cheers. Thanks, Thank you, everyone, so much. Cheers. Cheers, Fred.